welcome to Superposition, the show you listen to because Hansen and Seat told you to. I'm your host Hansen, and I'm your host Seat. In this episode, we chat with our Griffin Tyler to talk about social media. Is it the bane of modern society, or like Mr. Zuck often argues, a net positive? Enjoy the show. So yeah, Tyler, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are in whatever way you prefer? It could be in resume format, or it could be a story, or it could be two truths and a lie. I don't know. Okay. Uh, well, my name is Tyler Petriheiser. Um, I am a product manager working in tech. I've worked in marketing tech and now in infintech.、Um, a little bit about me. Let's see, two truths and a lie, huh?、Um, I'll just give you a funny truth. First time I ever tried a burger, I was 18 years old.、Whoa. Just completely turned off by the idea of a hamburger.、It、had no appeal to me whatsoever. That was finally when I was allowed to wander around the city by myself. <laughs> I said, "You know what? I'm going to see what everyone's talking about. <laughs> what is the hype around hamburgers?" Cool. So, when you think of social media, what are some of the words that you associate with it? What are some of the first words in your mind? The first one that came to me was business. And then social anxiety was the next one. <laughs> okay, business is the first word that comes to mind, huh?、Mm-hmm. That's a little surprising. I think it's like because of the professional context that I work in. You know, I think as a lot of my interactions with social media honestly aren't through my own personal profiles. I'm more of a lurker than a content creator.、Um, So when I think about social media, I tend to think more of its business applications and how companies use it to interact. One question I wanted to discuss a little bit is how did social media, or why did it, become such an important part of modern society?、Uh, marketing. It's a mixture of things. One, it does at its most basic level, it does enable connection at scale. So you know, whereas in the past, if you wanted to keep up with relatives, if you wanted to keep up with friends who have since moved or gone to different stages in their life, you'd have to meet up with them, call them. Do a lot of hard follow-up work that may not necessarily be natural or, or even desirable to a lot of people, like, like a family reunion or something like that. But you know, whereas with social media, the act of connection is, is so simple; it's effortless, effectively. So I think being able to scale it up in that way、um, has certainly helped with its importance. But I think a second, perhaps more negative reason of why social media is is risen to the importance that it has. Is that too? It's just it's highly addictive in nature. Any kind of positive, continual feedback stream, I think, hits at a certain part of human psychology.、Um, it makes a lot of sense that people have grown so attached to it. Yep, that all makes sense. So for me, I think this question has two parts. Right? Is one it became popular, and why it persisted? So I think the reason why is it, why it became popular. I, I would agree. Um, with Tyler, for the most part,、uh, it, you know, it, people has a innate drive to connect with people、uh, because we are suckers that we don't want to be lonely, we don't want to get bored. What's the most、um, rough、uh, punishment in prison? Right, it's solitude contentment. If you think about that, it's ridiculous, right? Because <laughs> because、uh, you actually is safer that way, and you are in a prison. Sounds like you want to get more space for yourself, but actually, that's the 
toughest punishment people give out to prisoners, right? So people have an innate drive to connect to others. Uh, and like Tyler said, uh, it's so effortless to just pull out your phone and check on things and get that um, small fix of dopamine, right? When people click on like on your post. Mm. But what- you guys ever feel that, that rush when you get a post yeah. that goes viral and you're like checking your that's phone over I stopped over? using Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's only part of the story, I think, because it's not good enough if people enjoy it, right? Because by design, most most social networks don't really make profit from maintaining this huge network of people. They actually pay a lot of money to maintain it. Mm-hmm. Um, so why it persisted? Because it brings benefit to the other side, which is people try to sell stuff online, right? And that actually open up a whole new market. Uh, and I, I would argue it's a positive thing because imagine before we were to sell something, you're competing against the warm-up. You can never compete against them because they can sell it, sell it cheaper. Now people can have the ability to find a niche product that they can make better than those heavy hitters and sell it online, right? And the way they find those audiences is through personalized advertisement. So basically you can see the loop here. Uh, there is a demand for this and the social networks maintainers can sustain it by selling the product to other people. So that's, I think that's why it became a very important part of um, modern society. Yeah, see, that's, I think the two aspects you hit on are both very interesting to me. One quick poll here. How do you feel about social media in general? Do you have a positive, negative, like how would you describe your feeling towards social media? The feeling is a bit ambiguous, if you will. Like it's, I acknowledge it is a tool with immense positive utility. I also acknowledge the tool with massive scope and severity of implications. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that social media is entirely good or entirely bad. It simply is. Um, and that's that feeling, just something that that is. <laughs> that's very deep. It simply is. Yeah. What about you, uh, C? I would agree with that for the most part. Um, I might, I don't know. I might tilt tilt it against uh, more positive uh, just because I think there is a way you have a choice, right? You have to choice over a lot of things to not engage with social media in a negative way. Now we can discuss if that's true or not, but that's what I right now think. Um, Yeah. I definitely have a take on that. (laughs) Yeah. Let's do it. What's your take? Yeah, sure. I think you know what you brought up is so interesting. If there is a choice to or not to engage with social media, yeah. I think that there certainly was that choice in the past when social media was less dominant, less central to how people engage, how we know what to talk about, how we participate in the world. But as social media has come to stronger and stronger dominance, I think that choice is sort of getting taken away. If you don't participate in social media, you kind of lose an awareness, if you will. You lose an ability to connect with folks around you, what topics are relevant to talk about. You lose the ability to engage with businesses. Uh, there are so many things that are heavily reliant on on social media. Uh, mind you, you can certainly take the take that, you know, if everything is local, then absolutely you don't need it. But I don't think we live in a world that is that localized anymore. I think we live in a highly global uh, spread out environment and social media is just so central to how we engage with the world around us. So you may not post in it, 
that you have to have it. How's that different from old days? How's that different from having a few papers that giving you information and you find it on papers? Isn't that less free? Um, honestly, choices? I think it kind of follows the same patterns. I mean, just thinking about, you know, let's say like America in the 1950s, we're really getting into like the golden age of TV. Um, I think there are like very few families who didn't have one, who weren't watching or participating because that was, those were the things around which, you know, not all conversation, but the vast majority of it happened. That's where you got your news. That's where you watched your presidential speeches. Before the TV, there was the radio. Before radio, there was paper. Before paper, there was the town crier. It's like the major communication method of the era, which yeah. links everyone. And yeah. social media just happens to be that for our era. Right. So using that, so I guess what I'm trying to poke at is, uh, isn't that negative thing? And isn't that not having enough choice, not having enough power on your hand to, to choose to engage or not engage always the case? It's not social media. It's just no matter what you replace that with, you're going to have this problem, right? Yeah, I think that's a, a really fair point. I think social media is a bit different because it has that many-to-many -many element of it, which hasn't right. been the case traditionally. It's always been highly directional. Right. Um, and that is positive in the sense that now I can hear everything kind of directly from the source, if you will. If I want to understand what it's like for a person living in Lebanon, I can just look at Lebanese Twitter <laughs> and get an example and humanize those people. Yeah. Um, but because it's so decentralized, you, it's hard to tell what is valid versus unvalid, what is a real take versus just a loud two percenter, um, as we mentioned. So. So, so for me, when I'm talking about choices, I think there are two levels. The first level is like what you described, right? You can choose to engage it or not engage it. And if you don't, there's a lot of inconveniences. And I would argue just as the inconvenience that you will endure during the days where you only have papers and you don't read it, right? Um, and the second level of choice is, um, I would say is how, like what angle you engage with it, right? You can choose to not post something, only use as an information source, and not participating the the heated argument online, I, I think you have that choice, right? Now you need to fight your nature. Like when I see something really stupid, saying things about China or saying things about a topic I know about, I want to type on something. I want to type in something. I want to argue with people, but you have to know the consequences, right? You are getting to this infinite thread of shit show, right? You have to know that consequences, right? You have to take responsibility of your actions uh, and you have the choice to walk away and to not enjoy that rush of dopamine. So I, I do think you have that two layer of, of choices to pr protect you against all the negative things we're talking about. See, I'd like to, to challenge that a little bit. Yeah. Right. So the two layers of choice you mentioned there, the first one is the choice to whether engage or not engage. Right. Yep. That's fair. But I think one thing that did change is even though we've had the same underlying needs and the same overall model, social media is we've gotten better at doing the same thing that traditional media did. We've made it more engaging than ever. We've made it more addictive than ever. TV has always been engaging and it has always been addictive, right? If you look at old news, people have been worried about what TV would do to our society. But if you look at the mind share and the amount of time people spend on TV, it's just not as efficient, right? You had a TV schedule, you had a show that ran once a week during this time slot. Right. Maybe you're a TV fanatic and you follow 10 shows. How much time could you really put into TV? And no. it's only there right at its convenience. You don't get to dictate when that happens. 
Today, whether it's because social media and the availability of the internet and streaming everything, entertainment has become truly ubiquitous, right? You could sync easily most, if not all your waking hours into social media, right? So that's the first challenge I would have is I think you have less of a choice now because it's more compelling for you to engage and it's a little harder to pull back. So it's almost like traditional media with more sugar in it. So the second point is how you engage, right? This, I think traditional media compared to social media, as we mentioned earlier, traditional media is more unidirectional, right? It's like from one source to everyone else. There's no common section. There was no common section. There was no, you know, big wars that can happen that easily and anonymously. Uh, Certainly the same drama, I'm sure, played out back in the day, but it wasn't as common and it wasn't as mm, exaggerated. It feels like today, some people say we live in an age of outrage. It's because social media has made it so easy to be outraged and to be a complete asshole because it's kind of like road rage, right? There is a degree of anonymity. There's a degree of separation that allows us to bring out the worst in us, especially when it's anonymous, right? It's almost a joke about YouTube comment sections, for example, and Reddit, right? Anything that has any degree of anonymity, people can get really nasty, whether it's, you know, as, as trolls or seriously, people can (laughs) say some outrageous things that I don't think you would be able to say to someone in person. So, that's my point about the second one is yes, you have a choice not to engage, but it's become easier and more tempting than ever to engage in a way that's arguably not healthy for you. Yeah, I think those are those are valid points and that tied into this single theme of getting more addictive and uh, it's too easy to engage with uh, uh, you know, posting comments online and get get triggered, right? Right. The elimination um, of friction from both. Uh, of those yeah, things. and I would say, so I would say two things. First, this plays into the dilemma I was talking about. On the surface, we want more control, want more choices, we want more, more, more. But they also come with troubles. <laughs> we also suck <laughs> in a lot of directions. We throw our time into random shit and we argue with people online uh, or in real life. That's the dilemma, right? Like you want to want more things so you have to take more responsibilities there's no silver bullet that only brings you benefit but not give you side effects unfortunately right just like any drugs Mm -hmm. even covid vaccines right there's a side effect even though it's it's not that uh well i don't don't want to get into that (laughs) so there's a side effect to to, it's kicking in right now for me (laughs) i feel i feel pretty hot i got a booster shot earlier today right so that that's the first thing i would say like that's just the unfortunate truth of anything. Like, I don't think it's a special to social media by any means. Uh, the second sure. thing we say is yes, now you have more addictive products, just like our drugs are getting better and more addictive. I absolutely agree. We should control that problem, but it's hard to ask drug dealers to do that themselves. It's hard to, to ask social media platforms to do that job efficiently because it's conflict of interest, right? They are only responsible for the investors by design. Why are we surprised Facebook wants profit? Facebook should want profit. That's that's how it delivers progress, designed by the system. So if we look at other countries, right? China, not saying China is doing better or, or anything, but in terms of controlling misinformation, it's pretty clear government is responsible for that. And the social media doesn't decide. <laughs> now, now that's, you know, 
good and bad, but the, the, yeah, the social media just simply doesn't decide what, what is true, what is false. There is, there's a standard you follow. And that's one way to root out the negativities of, of misinformation. Yeah. But to conclude, I just don't think um, that's, a, that's fault of social media platforms uh, because, because in most cases, they want to follow the rules, right? They're just not developed yet. I'm curious, um, you know, the funny thing is I know like Seed and I were intended to take very different stances on social media. I feel like we're more aligned than we are different. <laughs> um, you know, I agree in the sense that social media does need some form of boundaries, some form of regulation. We can't rely on the companies who deliver those platforms to self-regulate. They've proven time and time again that they are either incapable of doing so or simply have no interest in doing so. But I'm curious, you know, is government the right choice to be the regulatory entity for social media? Or is there another form of regulatory entity, for example, like could the internet self-regulate its, itself, essentially? Um, some form of like open source regulation uh, for social media. What might be the pros and cons of some of those different approaches? I think there need to be both. Uh, I think I was kind of hinting to that direction. Like, you know, my two points first is there's the dilemma, dilemma of you want more choices, but there's also more dangers, right? So I think on one hand, the social media or anything is evolving to be more efficient doing what you want to do. You need to get better at defending yourself as well, right? Defend your own time, defend your own focus. That's just life. You have to, you have to develop yourself that, um, defense mechanism. Well, actually a question around that seed, is that a yeah. fair expectation? Would you say, uh, so for example, you know, we've talked about social media being highly addictive. It is designed to be addictive. Yeah. Is it fair to expect people to self-regulate against an entity, um, that is tailor-made to cause addiction, similar to expecting, say, yeah. you know, a, a drug addict or you know, a fentanyl addict to yeah. self-regulate and control yeah. against that. Again, yeah, I agree. It's not fair. So the, here comes the second piece, right? Which I think the government uh, should come in on top of self-defending the addictions. The government should set boundaries uh, for the worst-case scenario. And for your question, you know, whether the the government is the right entity to do that. I'm absolutely sure it's not, but it's the only choice we have. Like it's this entity is what we come up with as, as a human society to govern things. And uh, it seems most intuitive to me to use that entity to control or to force us into agreement. I don't see any other voices here, right? Like if we, if we play the distributed system game, it's going to end up like social media, <laughs> I would argue. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great question, right? Right. I think whenever people mention government, it's such a loaded word, right? You either love or you hate it or you love and hate it, right? But it is literally the entity that people around the world choose to make collective decisions, right? A, a truly people-supported government should be a good entity that should be making decisions for the interest of its people. That's kind of the point. So if you have a good functioning government that people support, then I guess there is no better body than a government to make these decisions. That being said, I'm fully aware of the cynical side of this, which is governments are first and foremost, like corporations are first and foremost optimizing for profits. Governments are first and foremost optimizing for power. They want to grab and maintain as much power as possible. 
that's just inevitable. That's the economics of a government. Um, and one of the most important forms of power is controlling thought and public public discourse. And there's no easier way to control thought and public discourse than controlling social media. We've never had better tools to monitor everything people have seen, everything people have said. It's in that sense, a little bit terrifying as well, depending on what your utopian vision of the government is. Uh, I think for most Westerners, that's a little scary. Yeah, I agree. I see, I see the risk and danger there. I, I wouldn't argue with that. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I fall back into the dilemma, right? Do we really care about, I mean, this is the cynical side of me. Do we really care about privacy or do we, are we pretending? If you really care about privacy, there's so many things you can do. Say shit in Signal, no down Facebook messengers or iMessage. You can, you can make those choices, but most people are not. So it confuses me when there are outrage about privacy, but most of us not taking actions against it. And that, that kind of frustrates me, I guess. I don't think most people really understand the extent of data mining that exists on social media or the extent of tracking that exists around any of those forms of communication. I think they understand it at a face value level, but the positive utility of, you know, say, giving Facebook your data, giving yeah. Gmail your data yeah. outweighs any of the potential consequences around Privacy. In fact, the people I see who are most concerned about privacy and the most guarded of their identities and their online activities are people who work in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that plays into, you know, the fairness in the society, right? Whether people are educated enough to know those choices to be, to be make, making. Uh, same thing with vaccine. Same thing with access to education, right? There's going to be unfairness in, in access in any dimension of our world. And I, I don't think, I just don't find that special. To, to, to social media. And it's unfair to say, come up with a solution uh, by yourself. Well, I do think there's something unique to social media in the sense that this data essentially exists in, in perpetuity. And so that was, you know, one thing as I was thinking through some of the potential negative consequences of social media is the inability as human beings to experience youthful folly and mistakes right. and have that exist in an isolated point in time. Um, in their lives. The things that you do as a 13 year old, the cringe you posted as a 12 year old, all of that carries with you. It can be used against you well after you've since changed as a person. Now, mind you, I'm not talking about you know, extreme cases of error. We're not talking about violence or assault or things like that. Um, but I think that is a unique element to social media. And that is a, a collective ongoing in, in perpetuity profile of you and all your successes, but also your mistakes right. as a human being. And that makes it slightly different, I think, from, from other people. Just playing devil's advocate, but shouldn't the solution there be, as a society, we'd be more forgivable of those follies alongside while we're growing? Like, you know, why? Yeah, I mean, it's exposed. I, I was, uh, you know, I don't know, sending a dick pics to my friends when I was uh, 17 years old, right? And I somehow posted about it. That right. is illegal in several ways, but I'll let you know. No, to my male, to my <laughs> male friend, to, to, to Hanson, right? And I don't know if that makes it any better. <laughs> but, like, you know, people find out that about that. Should like, should I just be fired from my job? I don't think so, right? Because that was ten years ago, right? It should shouldn't just the, the community grow up and face the fact that because this is always happening. It's just not documented. Is it the documenting itself bad, or people not reacting to it the correct way bad? I think it's it's a mixture of not the documentee. I think they're just engaging in things that are normal human 
mess ups. I think it's the documentation and the accessibility of that documentation, as well as a mix of the reaction to but, it. But if, we, oh, God. but if we play a thought experiment, so let's say this becomes the norm, just the extreme case, it becomes the norm that when you're post, I mean, it's already a norm, but <laughs> when you're posting something, yeah, everything is documented. But as, if as a society, we're used to that, we're used to see those follies of people made along the way of their growth. Isn't the end goal or the end product is we be more open to those mistakes instead of we're hiding it and, and being hygiene about it and not talk about it? No, I think so. I mean, our generation, we're the, we're the first people to have social media as, as children. I think it came out when the vast majority of us were teenagers. Um, there isn't really a playbook for that yet, but I feel as people get introduced to social media younger and younger, there's going to be a point where you can't hold thirst traps and cringe statements and other stupid things on social media against someone, for example, in hiring or for college education, getting recruited, et cetera, because we're all going to have that. It's all going to be documented for everyone. <laughs> but I don't think we're quite there just yet. Uh, I will say one thing, though. I think as a society, we may be learning to be more tolerant of someone's past, but that I think it's a liability to have your past so perfectly recorded, right? So some examples are, for example, you can get canceled right now for something you've said 10 years ago. I think all it takes is an interested, motivated party to want to defame you, and they will. Actually, to your point, Hanson, um, what you said made me reflect on instances of like internet cancellation that I've seen. And I know I mentioned earlier that, you know, ideally we would move towards a more tolerant society because we all have these skeletons in our closet and it's not in the closet anymore. It's essentially not me for the record. I have no skeletons in my closet. You're squeaky clean. We've never had weird conversations in elevators before. (laughs) Never. But actually in a way, I think we can see right now that the social media has actually become more intolerant over time. And that might just be a result of shifting power dynamics and a, a quest for, I don't know, fair, more equitable treatment of people. And we're just kind of going through that natural transition. Mm. But I think it's so easy to have folks pile on. And as you mentioned, carry a very specific narrative around you or dig into something from many years ago. And if it's easy to do that, it, it's made me rethink my earlier point, like perhaps it won't become more tolerant, but rather more, even more curated. So you're even more cautious about what you post, what you say online, because you don't want to upset the hive mind, if you will, and deal with whatever consequences may come from that. So both of you made this point about the echo chamberness and finding people who are like-minded on social media. So Also in the interest of time, I want to move us to just one more question, which is, what do you think, how do you think social media has changed our society? And where do you think this impact will go in the future? Mm. I can start on this one. So I think in a previous episode, I mentioned this concept that I thought was, uh, in my opinion, a good way to capture my thoughts on this. Social media is a reality compressor. A compressor, uh, in audio at least, signal processing, is one that brings out smaller details but dampens bigger details. If you think about it, if you've got a bunch of 
uh, waves, right? You stretch out the smaller ones so they're taller and you squeeze the bigger ones. That's the compressing aspect of it. Compressors are used commonly, including in the production of this podcast and also most, you know, uh, sound production uh, productions. The reason I say that is social media, I think, has given voice disproportionately to people to fewer people. Right. So people who used to, as Tyler, you were saying before, people who used to have a belief that wasn't accepted in the mainstream used to have a harder time connecting with people. They would have to keep their opinion to themselves because other people pointed out that they were crazy and other people didn't want to engage with them. And if they wanted to, you know, be friends with people around them, they had to conform. Whereas social media, it doesn't matter where you're into. I know some subreddits that I don't even know why they exist, but there's tens of thousands of members. Right. There's ways to find a community, no matter the belief. And in my mind, that's just like most technologies. It's amoral. It's neither good nor bad. It gave rise to neo-Nazis, to flat earthers, to anti-vaxxers. It also gave rise to the LGBTQ community and racial justice. Right. And I think all those topics I just mentioned no matter where you lie on the political spectrum, some of those topics are not like the others. But social media don't care. It just amplifies the small voices more than it amplifies the mainstream. That's why we live in a world that's more echo chambery and more divided than ever, because no matter your belief, there is a group there to cheer you on. And in my opinion, the future, if we don't do something about this, will be the further division of society that we've already seen. Where, frankly, both on the conservative, like in the US, right, we talk a lot about the conservatism, conservative and liberal movements. In my mind, as an outsider coming in, I think both American conservatives and American liberals have become more and more and more extreme, more and more puritanist, if that's the word. like they have less and less tolerance for any different ideology than their own. They have less and less tolerance for anyone who's said something that they don't agree with 10 years ago. And that's ridiculous. And I don't think that's productive. But that's the trend we've seen. And I don't see why that trend would stop because unless people somehow start to engage more with people they disagree with, open up your social media feed if you still have any form of social media. Right, I use Reddit, for example they will have mostly content you're interested in and people you agree with, right? I intentionally will go on YouTube and go on Reddit and look up people I disagree with. I will intentionally watch a long debate with this person, right? But how many of us actually do that? And even for people like me who do it on purpose, I don't think we as a society can fight this trend unless something is done. And that something has to come from outside of social media companies, in my opinion. So yeah, Are in short, <laughs> yeah, in short, uh, it fosters fringe thought, good and bad. It drives further division. Um, and I hope some changes will be made to the system from outside social media companies themselves. They can't self-regulate and police themselves. I'm going to have to ask you for the original question because I've long since forgotten. <laughs> Sure. The question was, how has this, uh, how has social media 
impacted society mm-hmm. and where would well those impact you know those trends go in the future i think my take on it is one of the biggest one of the biggest impacts of social media is it's the humanization of others um you know, I no longer have to buy into a narrative that my one-way directional media tells me about another group of people. Mm. I can see their socials, I can see their families, their stores, the food that they make. Um, so I find that that's extremely humanizing. And I think it helps us to recognize that other folks, despite cultural differences, despite language differences, are, are very similar to ourselves and ultimately have the same goals. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, the impact of that is that it's harder for us to get into wars. It's harder for us to, for example, paint a picture of Pakistanis or Afghans as being a certain way because I can see those people and the narrative I'm being sold does not fit <laughs> uh, when I look at the, the content that those folks make. But I do think one of the downsides of that element is in the same way that I can craft a more humanizing narrative of a group, do that echo chamber effect that you mentioned, Hanson. I can also craft a very dehumanizing perspective of those groups as well. Uh, and I think about the example of, of Facebook being used to stir genocide in, in, in Myanmar. Um, I think it's it's because social media seems like so many people, when in reality, it's just like a kind of a select small few, it can make it seem like an opinion has more validity or is more common than it actually is. And it's very hard for us to distinguish that uh, with any certainty. Um, so, you know, I, I hope for those positive sides. I, like you, I also recognize some of the negatives. I do think social media does, it needs some form of regulation to help us offset those negative impacts. But, yeah. Yeah, I think social media is founded by this idea from Zuck or dream from Zuck that by connecting everyone, everybody can get along. That that's the original thesis, right? Once we connect everyone, once like we humanize everyone, we make friends. That's not the that's just not the case. That's not how human nature works. Human nature is nasty. We are intrinsically selfish. We we are not we are not built to be this um, synthesizing machine. Once we see the other side, we're gonna agree automatically, right? It's gonna take work. So I would argue, largely, mission number one is achieved, which is connecting everyone, to the most part. Right, there's still parts that are not connected, or choose not to be connected. But for the most part, if you're willing to, you can connect to anyone uh, on this planet. You're only a few degrees, degrees away from anybody on this planet, right? Which is amazing achievement. And that's something we we should start with. That's our foundation. Now it brought problems, like Tyler said. We also hate each other. We also f- feed on ourselves for the worst ideas. Back to the original thesis, I, I think it has to be two parts. First is we need more people like Hanson who's willing to, you know, intentionally, even though you say you tried very hard, I don't think it's very hard. I mean, you went on a YouTube channel and look for opinions. Like, is that really hard? I think it's less effort to buy than buying papers. Yeah. And I, I don't mean to interrupt, but one funny thing is like, part of why this is hard for me is as silly as it sounds, social pressure and peer pressure. My YouTube feed is on my TV. My roommates see it. My guests, when they come, we watch YouTube a lot and we see it. And sometimes I would be embarrassed if I had, I don't know, Joe Rogan or Ben Shapiro or someone who's like, who's considered not a good pundit on my feed. I I fear that, especially people I don't know that well, 
who don't know me that well will see that and judge me based on that. Because again, coming back to this, we're so intolerant of people who even dare look at things that they don't consider to be pure, you know, morally just source. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a problem to solve. Right. And I don't, it sounds like the social media in itself is not what's stopping you. Right. It's the, the, it's the social pressure and we should alleviate that right outside of social media, I would argue. Uh, And the second part, I do agree, there should be actions taken. Now, is that entity an NGO? Is entities a government? I don't know. Freedom doesn't exist without boundaries. It just doesn't, right? So boundaries need to be drawn. And I think it is drawing right now in different contexts um, from different culture background. Uh, Some countries are doing better job than others, but I can see that trend. So to go back to your original question, right? Like where does this end up with? I don't know. Like as a cynic, I, I do. I, I see the potential of everything goes to shit. There is this hive mind that everybody's agree with each other, but we don't know shit, which might be good. I don't know. Depends on, <laughs> depends on your, where you stand. Uh, and the other extreme is nobody agrees with anyone. And you always can find 10 people agree with you. And we start a wall, right? That's the other extreme. Or, right, we can end up somewhere in the middle. And that's the world that that's 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 just reality that's how the world always functions pendulum swings and eventually stops in the middle it's very deep as usual seed i like the bit about um there's no freedom without boundaries i think one thing that you both mentioned so tyler you mentioned that social media helps humanize others Right. When you look at memes from different countries, for example, uh, you realize that we're not all so different. We all laugh, laugh at the same dumb shit. Uh, you know, we're all human. We all share so much. But at the same time, somehow it's been able to be used to start wars and genocide and start political unrest in countries. Right. And see, you mentioned something along the same lines that Mark Zuckerberg had this utopian vision that if we could connect everyone, then we'd all become this earth village that would all become this happy community that understood each other. Uh, And yet it it didn't work out that way so far. And I think both of those are pointing to the fact that social media and the idea of connecting the world is outscaling the human psyche, if you will. I wonder if we could also just engineer social media itself. to be more in line with how humans behave. I mean, something that we both mentioned is, all of us have mentioned is this whole echo chamber concept. Mm-hmm. Now that can be validating if it's a positive echo chamber or, or extremely negative, if it's a negative one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it seems like perhaps like diversification of our feeds, you know, to bake in as a feature, Hanson, what you choose to do um, intentionally, which is to seek out very differing stances from your own and sort of put that into social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not something I think anyone's really going to go out of their way to do. <laughs> That's uh, our $10 billion startup idea. <laughs> We're committing stuff you hate. <laughs> Let me put some bull crap in your feed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I really think that I'd like to personally challenge Mark Zuckerberg to do this, to inject into the algorithm more stuff that we don't already agree with. 
Yeah. Just slowly expose people. I think the way I look at it is this. It is against any company's economic incentive to do that because I'm sure there's been A-B tests run on this. I'm sure it's been quantitatively proven that what's shown to us is the optimal solution and constantly improving. I'm sure that doing something that we've suggested here may be healthy, but it's going to tank your sales. Like imagine if they put lettuce in Oreo cookies. I don't think that's going to go super well because people don't eat Oreo for the nutrition. But no other company can do this but Facebook, pretty much. It's the number one player. It's incredibly successful. I think just like Apple bears a responsibility to push hardware technology forward, I think Facebook and the likes bear a responsibility to push social media forward. I also also add that you know, I like your analogy that you're trying to buy Oreo. Why would you put something else in the back, right? I would also argue, step away a little bit, realizing you're in a supermarket. You can buy some other stuff, right? You have the choice. You can train your feed to things you don't like. Just make that initial effort. Like all I'm asking is partially solve this problem first and we will tackle the, 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 the rest later, right? There's never gonna be a perfect solution just like anything in society. But if there is one already, somehow works partially, take that. So perhaps this is a challenge to our listeners. Train your algorithm, train your feed. Look at some stuff you don't already agree with, right? Just spend a little time with that. If that's something that we as a group of 12 people can do, then maybe it'll work for all of society. If not even us can follow through on this promise, knowing all the things we know about social media, then perhaps an outside intervention is required. Yeah, and we can end the podcast here. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, thank you guys for your time. We're uh, two minutes over, but it's all good on my end. Yeah, thanks Tyler for uh, attending. You're our first solo female guest. <laughs> <laughs>